Uh, just a quick note before we start the episode, half of this podcast lives in Texas, and while we are both safe and unaffected, thousands of our fellow Texans aren't. Some reports are saying that the devastation caused by Hurricane Harvey could cost more than Katrina and Sandy combined. Houston and the Gulf Coast need your help. United Way has established a Harvey Recovery Fund that we encourage our listeners to donate to. You can find it at unitedway.org slash hurricane dash Harvey. United Way provides funding targeting vulnerable populations like children, elderly, families in poverty, abused animals, and they will be there for their community during and in the months and years following the disaster. And we bring you this podcast without any ads, without asking for donations. So if you've ever gotten any value from this podcast, consider donating to that rather than giving money to us. They need help right now. And it might be Texas now, but it's going to be somewhere else later on. So this is a time when people come together to help each other. Yeah. And one more time that URL to donate is unitedway.org slash hurricane dash Harvey. And we'll put it on the website and in the uh, description for the episode for you guys. Yes, we'll link it there. Hello and welcome to the Cut the Cord podcast episode 25. I'm Ryan and I'm joined by some other streaming media nerds, Amanda. Hey. And Hannah. Howdy. Together we take on television for those who have cast off the tyranny of their local cable provider. Each week we gather here to find a great show to watch from the often overwhelming variety of shows to choose from. Then we review it and then we pick a new show and do it all over again. Like I said, this is a review show so there will be spoilers. This week's show is Netflix's Atypical and our companion song is the song that plays at the end of the final episode which is Tessellate by Alt-J. So let's take a listen to it. really liked that song at the end i love alt j and i think it had like a really good kind of moody vibe to it yeah i enjoyed that a lot i didn't think the music was really that noticeable for most of the show but i thought that was a a very good fit at the end of it atypical was created and written by robia rashid who is part of the how i met your mother team and also the goldbergs and this is directed by seth gordon who did horrible bosses and also part of team the goldbergs I just made that up. (laughs) (laughs) The Goldbergs Avengers. (laughs) So they've worked together before, and this is a project they wanted to do. The cast is starring Jennifer Jason Leigh as Elsa Gardner, who's the mother on the show. Jennifer Jason Leigh is an Academy Award nominee for The Hateful Eight in a completely different role than this one. Well... In some ways different. She's a murderous criminal in The Hateful Eight, and here she's kind of a a stifled suburban mom, so. Yeah, but she's got that spark, you know? She's got that little angry underbelly. But danger she craves. She's also really, really good in Weeds. And then Keir Gilchrist plays Sam Gardner, who is the main character of the show. He's from the United States of Terra, and it follows. So he plays Sam, who's the main character, who is on the autism spectrum. And this is, in a lot of ways, the story of his journey through high school and then how that affects everyone else in his family and his circle around him. There's also Bridget Lundy Payne as Casey Gardner, who is his younger sister, who acts in a sort of protective manner over him. But also she's an interesting 
characters, she has her own kind of trials and tribulations that are going on throughout the show, which is true for everyone. The show, it is largely about Sam, but I think every character has their own arc throughout the show and things that they're going through. They all end up touching back to Sam. He's kind of like the mm-hmm. center of that, that wheel with all the spokes going off of it. Right. She talks at one point about how since he takes up so much space, it's good for the people around him to be empty so that he has space to fill. Right. And she was talking yeah. about when she was younger that when she learned neurotypicals, she was a little kid and she heard people say NT and then she heard that as empty. Empty. Yeah. We'll get to how having someone on the autism spectrum can affect some family dynamics. But it is interesting how although she is younger, she in many ways acts like an older sister to him. She feels responsible for him and that she has a duty to be there and protect him. She has opportunities in life too that she feels very guilty about pursuing and taking those because she'll have to leave him behind. So that's kind of a subplot that goes on there. Amy Akuda plays Julia Sasaki, who is Sam's therapist. She was on The Guild. She played Tinkerbella, if you remember that little web series. We'll get to discussions about her as a therapist. She's one of the characters I'm most mixed on. Mm. There's parts I think are really good and parts I think are not so good. Are you mixed in the way that they wrote her or the way that she portrayed her? I feel it's very inconsistent in the way that they write her. Mm. They don't have her tonally nailed, which is a problem with the show overall. Overall. If I had to have any criticism of the show. Michael Rappaport plays Doug Gardner, who is the father of Sam, who has a hard time connecting with his son. And then Sam starts coming to him for more things as he gets older and becomes interested in girls. So they start developing more of a relationship. And it's interesting to see, again, those family dynamics, how that can create stress and distance in the family. Yes. And he's just a fantastic actor, really. He's kind of one of those guys that you may not recognize his name, but the second you see him... He's in, like, everything. You'll recognize him from everything ever made. Well, he's that dad guy. (laughs) The brother, maybe, when he was young. Oh, yeah, yeah. The goofy brother. Dad guy. Yeah. Good blue-collar dude. He's got one of those faces. He's like the guy you know. He has resting dad face. Yes. He really does. (laughs) (laughs) I think he has resting dude face. (laughs) Graham Rogers plays Evan Chapin, who is Casey's boyfriend, who is also kind of an interesting character. There's a scene where they're kind of discussing these opportunities that Casey has, and he hears them talking, and it's all about Sam. And he gives kind of one of those stands up and he gives the big dramatic speech where he stands up to the parents and kind of tells them off. And it's interesting because then Doug is like, I kind of like this guy now. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas before he was like, I'm going to kill him. Typical. Yeah. Typical sitcom dad. It almost felt like that he had watched a lot of sitcom dads do that thing with their daughters. <laughs> yes. And it rubbed yeah. off on him. Nick Dodani plays Zahid, who's Sam's one of his only friends, who works with him at their version of Best Buy, and is kind of the self-styled ladies man, who gives <laughs> Sam a lot of really bad advice. Oh, man. Just terrible. But then you see scenes where Zahid is legitimately successful with women, and It makes you wonder. Macking on the women. It's weird. It is really difficult in my experience for people on the autism spectrum to actually have deep friendships. And it seems like he and Zahid are real friends, that they do Mm -hmm. appreciate each other, that Zahid likes him not in spite of him being on the spectrum or because of being on the spectrum. He's not his pity. 
shitty friend or he just overlooks all of his issues. He kind of accepts him yeah. for who he is. And when he does run into those moments when he's having issues, he just sort of rolls with it. Yeah. He's just like, oh, is this a thing? Okay. All right. Cool. That's the thing you do. Or sometimes he'll try and correct Sam's awkwardness and then he'll jump in with his Zahid pickup artist crap. Zahid is the character most from a sitcom, I think. Yeah. I've known guys like him though. You could probably cut and paste him into the Big Bang Theory and it would be Mm -hmm. perfectly normal seeming. Yes, I would totally buy he's a younger version of some of the characters from that show. Raul Castillo plays Nick, who is kind of this bartender that Elsa meets and starts to experience a role outside of just being Sam's mother and protector. And that kind of leads her down this path of infatuation. Yeah, and leads to an affair and then kind of realizations and comes back to her family mm-hmm. and there's there's all this stuff that goes on with it. Sam is the center of this wheel with all the spokes going out from it. It can become all-consuming if you let it that your child who's on the spectrum, that you can lose yourself into that role. That's true for almost every parent too, mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. very easy to become mom or dad and nothing else, that it can fill everything. That loss of identity. You just become a satellite orbiting around the center of gravity that is your child. And as Sam grows more independent, Elsa suddenly isn't needed as much. Like she's specifically told, I can do these things. I don't need you to take me to the store. I can do things on my own now. And then now her whole identity for 17 years has Mm -hmm. been built around helping her child and she's kind of lost. She's adrift in the sea where she doesn't know what to do. The drama that is loss of identity and identity changing. Yes. And I think a lot of parents experience that maybe when their kids goes away to college or or things like that. It's just magnified in this case. I think what I really liked about this show was, you're right, it it did uh, magnify because of Sam being on the spectrum, but there was a lot of universality to it that I really liked. People keep saying this, dating is awkward. Being a teenager is hard for everybody. It does kind of get amplified with the roles that people have in um, his family because he's atypical. He's neuroatypical. Just felt like This was the strongest part of the show was how relatable everything was. And I'm drawn to Sam as a character because I'm like, oh, well, you know, I know what it's like to be an awkward teenager and be different. Sam has very specific challenges in his life and issues, Mm -hmm. but everyone feels like an outsider at some point. It's very normalizing. So the outsider character is very identifiable. There's actually a line, I think, that kind of nails it where he's sitting with his sister and her boyfriend and he's talking about how he's kind of a weirdo he's not normal and the kind of meathead boyfriend who actually ends up being really supportive of both of them is like don't worry dude Mm -hmm. nobody's normal and i think that was right ultimately most of the problems that he has are analogous to the problems that neurotypical people have it's just Mm -hmm. a little more extreme sometimes i mean there are specific things and i think there's a delicate balance between normalizing and validating versus minimizing and i feel like sometimes it does kind of drift too far into minimization territory and then he's pretty quick to point out that don't understand this like on a fundamental level speaking of normal teenage things sam does eventually get a girlfriend who's played by jenna boyd who plays Mm -hmm. Paige hardaway who is delightful i thought she was delightful i kind of vacillated between really liking her and relating to her and being like oh that's sweet and then being like cringe tries too hard Ah." for me the cringe parts just made her more lovable an awkward teenager in her own ways 
there mm-hmm. is a scene where the sister, when she finds out she's dating Sam, like everyone is really concerned that Sam is going to become attached to people. And then when they leave, that it'll create lots of issues. Chaos and change is extremely, extremely disturbing. It's like throwing not just a pebble in a pond, but like dropping a boulder in for the amount of chaos that things that you would not think are big deals mm-hmm. can really create. And then when people withdraw that support and contact from you, when you're on the spectrum, you probably have a very difficult time understanding how they became your friend in the first place, why, and then conversely, how they left and why. So you're left even more confused Mm. and hurt by those kind of things. A lot of times when single parents or things like that have children who are on the autism spectrum, they can be very reluctant to let people into their lives. A lot of single parents are that way, but it's even more so because that chaos that happens when people come in and out is very damaging. Yeah, that makes sense. Paige and Sam's, their relationship, it's interesting because some of the things that Paige likes about him are that he's very honest with her. And there's a moment when Mm -hmm. the sister at the beginning confronts him about this and is like, why are you doing this? Is this like a pity project for you? Do you think this makes you a good person? She's really protective of her brother. There's a moment where she tells the sister why she actually likes Sam. And it's very heartfelt. And I think the sister accepts that. And that's a big theme that runs through this is that relationships can be very dangerous and challenging. That when that's Mm -hmm. drawn, that it's very difficult. You have the same thing kind of happen with Julia, who Sam has a hard time understanding what boundaries are and the signals that she's giving to him. Yeah. Those things can be very, very difficult. If you think about how much of communication is nonverbal, that's an especially difficult area for people on the spectrum to interpret as nonverbal communication. Like Mm -hmm. things like tone of voice, when someone's being sarcastic, those are almost impossible to interpret. He really does not do well with sarcasm. No. It reminds me a little bit of Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Drax is a comedic but pretty accurate representation of someone on the spectrum. Hmm. Yeah. He's kind of coded as being autistic. Yeah. Sam has real difficulty understanding emotions. Like I know when I have dealt with some people who are on the spectrum, they can sort of tell that you're experiencing an emotion, but they don't don't know what it is like as a example Mm -hmm. like when my son came home with his report card and he had like straight A's I was really happy about that because he had struggled in school and now he was doing really well and he was like are you mad at me I can Mm -hmm. tell there's something going on like your face is different your voice is different but I don't know what that means you know so I had to Mm -hmm. explain it to him loud and very open often means angry yeah the line between those is really thin Mm -hmm. if you think about it yes he's like you're experiencing some kind of intense emotion I don't know what that is and I don't know what I did that would make, you know, it's very confusing. Also, a lot of the times, like social conventions can be challenging. So people on the spectrum tend to be really good mimics. If they can't understand social situations, they can at least kind of learn the cues and take their prompts from that. So some of the things that Sam learns, maybe from Zahid or other people, maybe are not the best lessons to take into there. Oh my God. Well, and he's also really used to being coached. His parents are very, very involved and he's been in lots of therapy and they hint at all of the work that they've done to get him to be so quote-unquote high functioning in the past which is very convenient (laughs) that you don't have to show all of the right aba or what's it's that they've been doing with him and you don't need a montage so he's very used to being coached so and he's used to people being maybe more experts or trusting people that they're experts like he kind of is assuming that every neurotypical person is going to be more of an expert at relationships than him. (laughs) 
Which is a wrong assumption. And Zahid isn't? He's used to being led in interpersonal relationships by the other person and following their cue. And when it comes to Zahid in particular, he just gets everything wrong when it comes to giving advice. What I appreciate about Zahid is he's less controlling than Paige. Like some of the things that Paige does is like, oh, I'm taking these cards every time you talk about Antarctica or animals or whatever, like as a session topic, as a reinforcement schedule. Yeah, that's what. I mean, that's his thing. But she's like, people find that irritating. So I'm going to do this card thing. (laughs) And on the one hand, I'm like, oh, man, that's really controlling and intrusive. And on the other hand, I'm like, that's something that people actually do with their kids. So I'm like having this moment of like, (laughs) where is that boundary? She really forces the question of whether it's possible to be too supportive. Uh Yeah, when does support end up being controlling and puppetry. It's hard to make generalizations about autism because it is, first of all, it's a spectrum. So there's people who are low functioning, people are high functioning. You can see people who have the same diagnosis have completely different presentations, problems with interpersonal relationships. Some people might be extremely isolated. Some people might not recognize what we might call like stranger danger. Like maybe everybody is their friend Mm -hmm. or no one is their friend. How it manifests can be very challenging. And autism rarely travels alone. So usually someone who is on the spectrum probably has other issues as well. So there is no like standard issue person on the spectrum. It's all very unique. And Sam is a unique character. But I think it's pretty Mm -hmm. safe to say in general that rules and structures are really important for people on the spectrum. And the ability to understand when your obsession topic is going on for way too long. The info dumping is yes. what my autistic friends call it. There's all kinds of tactics people can use to do that. Like some people use a timer or the card system that she has. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to try and give people an awareness of something that they don't have. It's not like they're yeah. ignoring it or trying to be rude or whatever. They literally mm-hmm. cannot see your feedback. He might think, my arms are crossed. I'm making noises that indicate I'm annoyed. I'm not looking at them. They will not pick up on that. Right. Yeah. You have to be way more explicit than that. And in a lot of ways, I do a lot of that kind of work with kids who aren't identifiably on the spec. There's a problem with interpersonal relationships. There's a difficulty or something there. I have to coach on what an angry face looks like. What angry eyebrows look like? What does this mean? What does that mean? What's an appropriate response? So it's interesting to compare and contrast how people frame neurotypical behavior and how they frame autistic behavior. And I think the show actually does a fairly okay job of getting you into that headspace and Mm -hmm. forcing you to think about the world in those terms as opposed to just laughing at his weird reactions to stuff. But I think there are a couple of times where it does get played for laughs, like Mm -hmm. the bra scene especially, where he says, I can see your bra, it's purple. Oh, for sure. That is 100% accurate. I think some of the criticism that I've seen is that he is sort of like a mishmash of a whole bunch of different characteristics. Right. It's inconsistent. In trying to be representative of all people on the spectrum, they ended up being representative, really, of none of them. But then again, nobody is a representative of anybody on the spectrum, right? Yeah. It's very hard for me to be objective about the show because this show speaks so directly and powerfully to my actual 
actual lived experience. It's really mm-hmm. hard for me to separate when a show has like its opening credits and is four minutes into the show and you're just bawling your eyes out. And that's how you are every episode, like every minute of the show. You're like, is this actually yeah. good? That is difficult for me to interpret. The one thing that I do notice about it is the tone of the show really vacillates between pretty serious, insightful, touching, heartwarming kind of stuff and then wacky sitcom. Mm-hmm. And especially with like the yeah. Julia character, some of her boundaries, especially with Sam's dad, seem very appropriate and accurate and yeah. like well thought out. Like she actually seems like in those cases to actually be Mm-hmm. Very professional. A rare good therapist with boundaries <laughs> on shows we review. <laughs> rare in media. <laughs> There are also moments where she and Zahid are the most sitcom characters there are on the show. Yeah. I mean, I really like that actress, but I think she might be a little in over her head for some of this stuff. That or the writing is not consistent. I think it's more the writing. I feel like Amy Okuda as Julia, she kind of hits it. She's very warm. She's very caring. And they introduce her as the point of view character, as having her own character arc, which is interesting. And I feel like of all of the shows that we have watched with therapists and all of the shows that I have watched with therapists, aside from, I haven't seen In Treatment, so that one's supposed to be really good. Say in like a Aaron Sorkin, the therapy session as a plot movie device of allowing a character to have monologues that would otherwise be really weird to have a character. That's kind of how that started out between Julia and Sam. And then Julia gets her own arc, which was cool to see. And she struggles with boundaries and she struggles with her personal life invading her professional life. And disturbing as that might be to somebody who's not in the field, I feel like, you know, that is true. Like nobody's going to be on it all the time. Therapists are human too. What? We're human too. And she's going through something really awful (laughs) in the background. And it turns out that Sam is also kind of, because of his boundary crossing, he he didn't cause anything per se, but he really did open up a sore spot in her relationship with her partner. Right. Which was there already, but he exacerbated it. That was so Three's Company, misunderstanding. That's one of those sitcom situations that could be solved with 30 seconds of people talking to each other. Without the piece of the puzzle with Sam leaving it there, it's sort of a mystery. She didn't trust him already, and then she finds this, what does she call it, this very sexual fruit... A sex fruit. It's a sexual fruit. Another issue that we've kind of been going around is Sam as a character. The actor is not on the spectrum. He does a really, really good job of playing this character. But there is an issue with... Mm -hmm. Should he be playing a character on the spectrum or should an actor on the spectrum be portraying this character? I did some reading. Apparently the show creator says that they did audition people who were on the spectrum for the role and they went with Keir Gilchrist because he blew it out of the water and did such a great job. And Rabi Rashid explains that Keir has somebody in his life who is on the spectrum. And then in her writing, she said that she has, I can't remember what degree of relative, just someone in her near family who is on the spectrum too. So this was a subject that was close to her heart, but they didn't strictly consult with anybody officially who was themselves on the spectrum. They consulted with experts who are neurotypical, who have studied individuals on the spectrum. Yeah, it sounds like there was no direct input from people on the spectrum. And that's, I think, what the biggest criticism from people in the autism community. That actually is one issue I had when we were considering doing this show and how to approach it. 
I'm not on the mm-hmm. spectrum. I have people, direct people in my family who are, but I can't speak for their experiences. I mean, I spoke to them. I spoke to Mal, who used to be on this podcast, who is on the spectrum about the show. Mm-hmm. Like, I tried to check in, but we are three neurotypical people talking about autism. And yeah. I feel like we're talking about a thing without the people in the thing being here to present their point of view. So I just want to throw that out there that I am aware of that. Mm-hmm. This kind of thing also comes up when it's a character with other kinds of disabilities, or if it's a gay character or a trans character, that ultimately, if you can't find someone to portray that person who has Mm -hmm. lived that experience that at least you should have someone involved on the writing staff or producing or some kind of somewhere and then it becomes an issue of can't or is it won't you know And that's ultimately where the problem stems from is Hollywood doesn't give people who are outside of the standard perfect mold of a star a chance to become a famous name because that's what they're looking for is names, which is why it's important to have non-white, cis, straight men on the other side of the camera producing, writing, etc. One sort of promise of the whole idea of cutting the cord and all of these Netflix and Amazon shows and all these different avenues for people to go is that there should be less gatekeepers involved. There should mm-hmm. be opportunities for other people. And why aren't there mm-hmm. these roles? Do you have to start with an actor in this specific case who isn't on the spectrum to kind of put that out there a little bit and then you start casting people in those roles? Is it just a matter of this person was actually best suited for the role? I mean, there's a lot of issues involved here. Yeah. I mean, who gets to tell stories? That's a huge topic among writers and things who want to write diverse characters. You know, they're a cis white straight man and they want to be more reflective of what our society looks like. And at one point, are Mm -hmm. you appropriating? And at one point, are you being diverse and open? And it's a thing. When we reviewed The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, there's a moment where the book publisher is talking about the book and is like, I'll publish this if you just remove all of these troublesome family members from your story. And she won't do that. But I think that is an issue too, that there are people in power try and hold you back and keep you from presenting your story your story your truth kind of threading the needle there so we talked a little bit about typical high school problems so cast your mind back to high school (laughs) okay oh god do i have to so when you were in high school of all the characters on this show Mm -hmm. who do you most identify with Paige. For sure, Paige. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Paige. Why? Because she's earnest and she's Mm -hmm. trying for better or for worse, most of the, maybe not most of the time, a lot of the time for worse, to be good and be liked. And then she verges a little bit into the creepy territory. Yes, she gets so into the things and the people that she likes that it becomes too much. It becomes way too much. Well, let's cut Paige a little slack because you got to remember this is also her first relationship too, you know, Mm -hmm. that she's learning too. Yeah, no, that's fair. Oh, for sure. That it's possible for a newer typical to be super weird in lots of other ways. Mm -hmm. But the interesting discussion is, is she really completely neurotypical? (laughs) Because Elsa isn't necessarily, she really likes her calendar and she times herself while she's doing her chores and she has a certain way, likes her schedule and order. And how much of that is because of Sam and how much of that is her nature suggesting some of the more genetic components of... I think that's two roads converging into one with her. (laughs) That she probably has that natural tendency and then she must be exceptionally organized to take care of her life 
Sam's life. Yeah. Her other child, who she neglects, frankly, you know. Poor Casey. Yeah. Casey is just trying to do her thing, and she gets sidelined for her brother constantly. So if you both identify with Paige, are there any characters in here that you think as a high school student you would have been interested in? Interested in? They're all, at least from my point of view, they all seem in a box. They are the type of person, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They're all a little bit of a caricature. Like Evan is probably the most objectively dateable. I would have wanted to date Evan, but ended up with Zahid. (laughs) Just because Zahid was interested. Yeah, exactly. Let's be honest. You do have a pulse. So yeah, he's interested. Because he was the only applicant. Oh yeah, like, oh, he likes me. Yep. When you're Paige, that's kind of the biggest selling point on someone is that they like you. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Hmm. I think the character I identify the most with, and it's hard for me to kind of cast my mind back to high school, is Doug, the dad. That is so <laughs> literally my lived life experience and truth. Like this show, I really can't stress enough that if you are a parent mm-hmm. who has a child who is on the spectrum, this show is a gut punch of truth so he probably is the character i most identify with and who i would be interested in uh that's hard because there aren't that many choices but probably right probably casey but i probably would end up actually dating Paige. so (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i mean can we talk for a second about how none of these teenage characters are played by anybody that's even close to being a teenager. I think the youngest person, Bridget Lundy Payne, is 24, and everybody else is in their mid. It's very much like a 90210 situation. Oh, for sure. Did either of you watch Glee? Yes. Pretty much all of Glee, all of the actors were at least early 20s, and then they went up to like 30-ish for some of the guys. I think the opposite of that kind of casting. I don't know if you've seen Freaks and Geeks, but the people are mm-hmm. actually the that age that they're supposed to be. Same thing with Stranger Things. More age-appropriate casting. And Ozark was a really good casting. I appreciated the, the teen daughter. She was a little bit pimply. Yeah. I really liked seeing that. Thanks. I don't mean to point out that a teenager has pimples. I'm sorry, teenagers, or if she happens to listen to this, which she won't, but I'm just, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just appreciate the realness, okay? It's relatable. I'm a very pimply 30-year-old. I still have pimples, too. Oh. My chin. <laughs> Doesn't go away, kids. Sorry. <laughs> there will come an age when you have both wrinkles and pimples, and that's a sad day. Oh, oh And I have gray hair and pimples. And pimples. It's yeah. not fair. I don't have gray hair, but the guy in the mirror does, so. <laughs> that guy's not real. <laughs> that guy's not real. Uh, it's a good thing my vision is so bad, I can't really see him very well. <laughs> The person first language crack. Did you notice that one, Ryan? All right. Oh, yes, I did. Okay, so. Enlighten us a little bit on what that is. So when the father who has been kind of absent from his son's life goes to the support group that his mother goes, not the father's mother, Sam's mother goes to, he starts talking and he doesn't know their code and their language. And he says, my autistic son. And they immediately correct him that we use people first language. Like the correct way to say that, correct. The way that they want Mm -hmm. him to say that is my son with autism. Right. Mm -hmm. There is a point I can see to both sides to that, that yes, Mm -hmm. the person is most important. Like that brings up the issue too, where he doesn't tell anyone at work that his son is on the spectrum. Yeah. 
That's not great. I had a hard time with that because in general, when I am taking my son to places, I will probably not mention that he is on the spectrum to them unless I think the situation is going to be particularly stressful or whatever. Because yeah. I want them to experience him as a, well, as a person. As a person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First, before the kid with autism. Well, yeah. it made it seem like he had had this long-term, almost like a partnership, like police partners with the ambulance driver, with his fellow EMT. They talked about their lives. They talked about their struggles. He never let him into that. But he somehow didn't mention this one giant part of his life. And I think that intersects with a lot of Elsa's struggles. If she doesn't have an identity outside of being the mother of a son with autism. So she's resentful of him having that. But it also kind of is a gray area, I feel like. Because at the same time, he gets to have an identity identity outside of parenting, which men, let's face it, fathers and men do get to have that more often than mothers in the way we structure our society and things. And that he has a job that's outside of the home and that her job is sort of occasional haircutting at her kitchen table. I don't think the people first idea is bad or wrong like i in general tend to agree with it but when they come to him they expect him to be perfect in his language to know and i encounter that (laughs) i say as the white straight cis male christian man (laughs) i encounter that a lot online that people expect you to be perfect and sometimes you're not and you need to yeah you need to have some space to to make mistakes and then learn makes mistakes and learn yeah my general rule is i'm gonna make a mistake i'm probably not gonna make it a second time you know once i know better but i don't necessarily know better Mm -hmm. so but then there was also subtext to that group because it was really kind of her support group so they knew all of her struggles and they had a more one-dimensional picture of their family and their relationship and their conflicts and so he came in seeking support and that was not the place for him and they kind of made that very clear one of the subplots in there is that sam's father has a lot of trouble connecting with him when he's very young Mm -hmm. and he feels like you know he would be kind of better off so he does unfortunately a very typical male thing and he leaves he comes back eventually but there's a time that is very painful to everyone Mm -hmm. involved that he abandoned them Mm -hmm. and that group they mentioned that many times before the father Mm -hmm. comes that like after what he did they've heard one side of the tale you know Mm-hmm. Divorce rates of couples with children with autism is through the roof. It's really high. Really, really high. The incarceration rate for people on the autism spectrum is higher than almost mm-hmm. any other group in the country you want to name. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Well, yeah. The accidental death rate, yes. too. So many of the typical traits on the autism spectrum. The freezing up in tense situations, refusal to make eye contact, difficulty following instructions, all of those things police officers are trained to interpret as someone who's dangerous, who's purposely disobeying you. Oh, yeah. And who needs to be immediately physically corrected in that behavior. Yeah, you hear horror stories about police officers that have to deal with people with disabilities having some sort of episode, and then they end up just shooting them. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, children getting tased. Right. The fear is real, yeah. Yeah, I got to compose myself for, for a second. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's not a comforting thing to know that the police are going to be involved in, in any situation. And I'm not saying that to criticize police officers. I think they're trained really poorly in 
dealing with and interpreting these mm-hmm. things, yeah. not just with autism, but with other mental health issues in general. Mental health crises, anything. There's all kinds of challenges. Of challenges associated, yeah. Uh, are we ready to rate this thing? Do we have? Like I said, this show is really hard for me to objectively rate because this show ripped my heart out repeatedly. So it's it's very hard for me to objectively rate. But I will give it five. I just got a hand job and an igloo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I feel like Alistair would have been sad you ended up with that one. <laughs> I got to take the opportunity. <laughs> you got to take it because he was definitely going to take the hand job in the igloo. Well, there is a reason why he's not here tonight. Because <laughs> he's getting a hand job in an igloo. I don't judge. Would you guys rate it? I will give it three and a half out of five. Poor dead meatballs. <laughs> I'll give it three out of five sex fruits. Mmm, <laughs> delicious. Delicious sex fruit. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Sitcom, but very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Making your way in the world today. <laughs> Takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries. Sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Every week, we each bring a show to consider watching. We each vote for a show, and we cannot vote for our own show. Then the show with the most votes is our next show to watch and review. Who wants to go first? I will! Take it away. I really super duper want to watch The Tick, which is a beloved animated... Well, this is not an animated series, but it comes from a beloved animated series that I watched in my childhood and quoted endlessly to my family. And it is now a live-action Amazon original series. So far, there are six episodes, I think, including the pilot that they already released last year. It stars... Peter Serafinowicz as the titular Tick. He is hilarious and the show is hilarious. And I really, can we watch it? Please, can we watch it? I love the Tick. I own the box set for the Tick. I have all of the issues of the comic book. I can actually look over and see them. Wow. I think you're a bigger Tick fan than me then, if you have the comic book. I don't have the live action one with Putty from Seinfeld. Mm. Yeah, I love the tick. All right. I was going to nominate Difficult People. It's got Billy Eichner and Julie Klossner. Billy Eichner is the yelling guy from the last <laughs> couple seasons of Parks and Rec. If you remember him, he's very opinionated. He's also the yelling guy from YouTube. Yeah. And I mean, it has all sorts of guest stars. Martin Short, Kate McKinnon. Gotta love her. Kathy Najimy, Kathy Lee Gifford. <laughs> So the story centers around two struggling, jaded comedians living in New York City, and they hate everybody but each other. So I'm sure it's very (laughs) cringy, and I do enjoy some of that. One of the executive producers is Amy Poehler, so she kind of has the magic touch, at least for me. I've watched the first two seasons of Difficult People, and it is, it's very funny. It's probably a little bit of a you love it or you hate it kind of thing. Is that on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu? It's a a Hulu Hulu series. All right. So commercials. So there's no way I could not nominate The Defenders as Mm -hmm. the show we should watch. The Defenders is an adaptation of longstanding Marvel series. And there's four Netflix shows that are merging together to form this team. So you've got Daredevil, which was fantastic. You've got Jessica Jones, which was amazing. Oh my God. Fucking amazing. Probably one of the best things I've ever seen. Luke Cage, also pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Then there's Iron Fist. <sighs> hey, look at it this way, Hannah. You were forced to watch Iron Fist so I you was. could review it, and then you weren't able to. So 
So I I could really let loose on uh, Danny. So I'm interested in this for a lot of reasons. First of all, superhero punching, really mm-hmm. great. I'm very invested in the plot of these four shows coming together. I really want to see how they balance the four very different tones and looks of the show. I think that's an interesting challenge to see how they tackle it. It's also got Sigourney Weaver as one of the main villains. You've got Madame Gal. I think it looks really fucking cool. That's what I want to watch. But I don't get to vote for my own show, so let's vote. Okay. I will vote for Difficult People because I already know that I like the show. Well, I'm going to vote for The Tick. All right. I will also vote for The Tick. Yes! All right, I'm going to watch The Tick for the first time, so I'm going to be the outsider opinion on this one, you guys. You've never seen the cartoon? Nope. Uh, That'll be interesting for someone who has no experience. I think it's actually interesting. Amanda and I have a lot of experience with The Tick and love it. I think it'll be cool to see what someone coming in cold thinks of the show. So I think that's good. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be references in this new show to the old one and how much it relies on that. Would be interesting to see, yeah. You're our control subject. Oh, okay. That means I don't get the medicine. (laughs) I get the placebo. It's laughter. If the show works, you'll get the medicine. Laughter is the best medicine. Okay, okay. All right. (laughs) Forget this penicillin and... And the penicillin and antidepressants. Just... (laughs) Just take a walk in the woods and laugh. Yeah, and put on your running shoes and go into nature. Nothing. Well, you may not know it, but a vista and a mountain can actually be taken in pill form. You probably didn't know that. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, look into that. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I mean, if you take a piece of the mountain, right, and you put it in water, and it changes the nature of the water, so no matter how much you dilute it, it actually gets stronger. yeah. The water remembers. The mountain in this really expensive, but worth it, bottled water that I sell for $50 a bottle. Yeah. Then you have Essence Essence of Mountain. mountain. So moving away from our terrible, terrible medical advice (laughs) podcast, back to our TV review. (laughs) Take the last minute of this podcast and do the opposite of everything that we just said. Just don't do any of that, friends. Everyone is an example. Our medical advice is the bad example. Yeah. That was atypical. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcast, Four Color Nerds comic book reviews at fourcolornerds.com or on our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate. Review. And subscribe. Be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep streaming, nerds. Bye. 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 Spoon. <laughs> Did you just Google the tick? It came up with spoon. That was me. No, that that was Ryan. Oh, that was you. (laughs) You sounded like Hannah. You did a very good Hannah impression, kind of like my extremely good Alistair impression. I was very confused. Pip, pip, boats. (laughs) Boaty, boaty, crumpets. Spoon, blimey. (laughs) So many Alistairs here. Which one is real? (laughs) That's my question only Alistair would know. (laughs) Yeah, we already had that clone Alistair problem. What's the difference between a ship and a boat?